Okay, welcome back to another episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. My name is Sina and I love following the journeys of other young entrepreneurs. And in this episode, I'm really, really excited because I spoke with Sophie Taylor, the founder of Sophie's Iced Nut Blend, a nut-based iced coffee brand. We talk about her journey from working in a cafe at the age of 17 and creating a new nut-based iced coffee to selling it to other cafes in the area to then creating a brand around herself and then now set to launch her amazing nut-based iced coffee brand in a well-known supermarket very, very soon. And we talk about the whole process of how she went from an idea to a product and then ultimately selling it in a supermarket. We also talk about how and why she decided to transition to retail after finding a lot of success from her direct consumer sales channels and also talk about a deal that fell through and the awful reason why she thinks it did. It was a really, really interesting chat with Sophie and I absolutely loved it. I learned a lot and it's our second food business that we've had on the podcast before. We spoke with Potion Universe before an alcoholic drinks brand and that was really, really valuable. And if you haven't listened to that before, be sure to listen to that before you listen to this one because they're both equally as enjoyable. And so that takes me to this week's shout out. So in case you don't know, every week I'm giving a shout out to someone who left a written review on Apple Podcasts just to show, you know, I appreciate you guys and just to share the love basically. And this week's shout out goes to The Goonery, who basically says this helps me as a young, confused millennial stay focused and motivated to live my best life. Well, that's what I set up the podcast to do, to basically inspire and motivate other, you know, millennials out there. And so I love reading messages like that. And, you know, big shout out to you. If you want to feature in the next episode as well for a shout out, be sure to leave a written review with your name. Um, The Goonery, (laughs) I think they follow me on Instagram, so I know who they are. They're a page. But yeah, leave your name. You want me to refer to you as and I'll give you a shout out in the next episode. And follow the page on Instagram because that's where all the new episodes get announced, all the previews, all the audiograms, all of that good stuff, along with other cool announcements that I've made in the past that you might have missed because you haven't followed the Instagram. So yeah, be sure to follow us on there. And without further ado, let's get on with the amazing episode this week. Okay, hey, Sophie, how you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Excited to talk to you today. I know, yes. You've been on my radar for quite a while as a guest I wanted to have on, so I'm really excited to finally have you on. Oh, perfect. After, yeah, after I saw you on Scott's podcast, uh, sorry, not Scott, after I saw you on Ted's podcast, there's quite a lot of podcasts in my Instagram, I get mixed up between them, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I listened to that and you're really interesting, so I was like, yeah, I need to, need to get her on, especially because oh, thank you. after I had, I had someone on the podcast previously who was, who created a food brand and I really learned a lot and I really wanted to get more sort of food brands on the podcast. So, I, yeah, I wanted to get more food brands on the podcast. So that's why I thought, you know, reach out to you because the one before was a alcoholic brand. So we're moving from alcohol to milk or like nuts milk. Yeah. And I actually, um, I listened to that episode as well. So I suppose it's good to like, there's all, within like food and drink, especially like food and drink business and the process and everything. Um, it's all really different and really precise to each product. So I suppose it's good to have like a range of, of um, food products to uh, listen to. Yeah, exactly. And I know, I know a lot of people because we obviously we've had a lot of sort of tech businesses on, on the podcast before. But there's like food brands, I thought would be really cool to get on. And so, yeah, why don't you just kind of start off by what is Sophie's Iced Nut Blend and where did it start? Where did it all come from? So Sophie's Iced Nut Blend is a hazelnut and coconut flavoured iced coffee. Um, So it's made with nut milks um, and it's vegan, dairy free and gluten free. 
Um, so the idea, I started the business when I was 17, so um, four years ago now. Um, and the idea came from when I was working part-time in a coffee shop um, and I just really, I came into contact with their iced coffees and I absolutely loved them but no one else really seemed to be interested. And I think the reason behind that from what I heard from customers was just the fact that they thought it was really high in sugar, really high in fat and genuinely just not very good for you. So I thought if this is the only thing that's putting people off such a, what I thought was an amazing product, then if I can add something healthy to something that seems to be unhealthy, I could fill a gap in the market. Um, so that's basically what I did. Um, and at the time it was called Malheur Coffee. So I just made them up in a fresh cup form um, and I was selling them in cafes and restaurants. Um, and then I, then I decided that I wanted to bottle it because the demand just got too much. Um, so then I started that process of getting it into bottles uh, from cup form. Um, and then recently we decided to rebrand um, and go from selling into the kind of cafe retro style restaurants to now selling in retail. So it was a massive change and a really, really big risk for the business, but it's one that's definitely paid off and is paying off. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And I just want to take a step back because that all sounds like really, really interesting, but I want to drill down into one part of it. So you had the idea for, you know, you really wanted to make a nice coffee sort of product. And you're actually right. Like I, during exam season, I'm not a big coffee drinker, but during exam season, I would have a lot of the sort of, like, you know, the Starbucks sort of iced coffees, like the chilled ones in the supermarkets. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're actually so nice. <laughs> but anyway, they're really, really high in like sugar and fat and... I was quite apprehensive of this, but obviously like during exam season, you don't really care about that sort of thing. So yeah, but like right now I wouldn't drink that sort of thing because, you know, health reasons. So yeah, it definitely like fills a gap there. But how did you go from sort of the idea of wanting to make something into an actual like product? Because, so did you first sort of experiment with different recipes and then kind of, yeah, so how was the whole process from there? Um, so because I worked in the coffee shop at the time, um, I kind of knew how they made their iced coffee, so I knew what tasted good. Um, and then I kind of just, I suppose, got thrown into it. So um, I then, I, so I started just making them up in like, you know, in the fresh cup form, just a recipe that I'd, I suppose tried in the kitchen. And I suppose that's what I did. I just went back and forth with different recipes in my kitchen. Um, but I mean, everyone that I tried tasted good. So um, it was, yeah, it was quite easy to do that. Um, and then I, yeah, so I was in fresh cut form. And I really loved the way that everything looked. Um, and then I just started selling to cafes. So I literally just went into cafes and just was like, will you sell this? I got flyers and leaflets and everything made up. And I just genuinely just walked around into every cafe that I knew and just asked them to sell it. What is, I don't know if this was a stupid question or not, but whatever. <laughs> what is fresh cup form? What, what, do, what do you mean by that? Oh, so, <laughs> I'm so used to saying it that I just say it automatically. Um, so, You're using technical coffee terms that I don't know about. <laughs> So exactly like what you said. Um, so when, um, you know, you had the um, frappes from uh, Starbucks, it's in those kind of clear plastic cups with a dome lid and then a straw rather than being in like a bottle or a closed container. 
So it was very, uh, very fresh. So I'd have to go to the cafes. Um, I literally, and I just passed my, uh, sorry, no, I hadn't even passed my driving test at this point. So I was 17 and I was just walking around with like heavy, <laughs> heavy ingredients <laughs> in my bag, just walking around to like all the cafes. And I would just have to make them up before they opened. So it got quite tiring quite quickly. And then that's when I decided to get into bottles because it, the demand as well was just too much. It wasn't, it wasn't going to be able to upscale. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really interesting. So the sort of demand was was pretty good. Like people, the cafe owners were really liking it and they were selling them. Yeah, and this is something that I would say as well. Like I'm not a massive, I obviously when I first started, I just started, I had the idea and you kind of sometimes you can get really excited and then more people want to sell it. And you're like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll sell them here, I'll sell everywhere. Um, but I, I would just say like, try and have a plan. Um, even if it's not exact, just have like a kind of flow chart of what you're going to do at each stage. Because when they started selling out very quickly, I basically couldn't get, I couldn't do it. It wasn't possible. Um, so I had to stop selling for a little bit whilst I then got it into um, like bottles. And so I just think have a plan of what you're doing. Um, so you know how to upscale. Um, so yeah, that's definitely something that I would recommend. Yeah, because I know a lot of people listening would like they have probably thought about a food you know creating their own food brand around things that they really enjoy eating so would you sort of recommend in the first early stages just kind of trying to make the whole recipe yourself in your own like home or in your case I guess the place where you were working but kind of somewhere close to you before like rolling out I guess yeah I mean the thing that I really struggled with was um when I then went into bottles um there's so many especially if you're using anything to do with allergens um, with food and drink there's so many hurdles you need to go to to just get the label sorted and obviously it, it it depends on what product it is mine was very complicated at the start um so it's really that's the main hurdle i think when you're starting is actually food and drink takes a lot of development in terms of the legalities before you sell it um so when there are certain laws, I can't remember exactly because it's been a while since I've had to touch anything to do with labelling, but there are some laws where I think if you sell within a certain mile radius towards your home, you don't have to put certain things on the label, but it's easier to label basically if you make from home and sell quite close to where you live. And also it's easier to cope with as well if you need to, you know, restock or something. So definitely start small and then build up from there. Start small, test the concept and then build up from there. Yeah, definitely. Really good advice. How did you go from the stage of like, okay, so you created a recipe that you and the cafe owners and everyone else absolutely loved. I actually really want to try it now. It sounds, it sounds pretty amazing. I haven't tried it. I'll take <laughs> But um, yeah, so you went from that and then the demand was like crazy. So obviously you had to scale it somehow and that was to the bottles. How was that process like? What did that look like? And like, was it easy? Like how... I'm just trying to think because it's quite a systematic process, but it sounds like each sort of process does take a lot of time yeah. and sort of a, learn a learning curve for each sort of step. Yeah, see, this was the most difficult part for me because this took the, the longest amount of time. And it's just crazy because when you look at like, a bottle, you don't realise how much goes into it and just how difficult it is. So the process for me, the main issue that I had was labelling laws um, because obviously mine was a nut milk product. Um, so the main issue that I had was the labelling side of things. Um, so um, I don't know how to really 
provide advice on that. I suppose you just have to do a lot of recipe development so that you get the simplest, easiest recipe with the just an easy recipe that you can use basically um because that's going to make your labeling a lot easier and try look into like the allergens um i'd say if you're going to do like a food and drink product just try and do something that's already on the market so that you can essentially kind of copy someone in a way for your first food and drink business don't try and do something too unique because then you have so many issues um so yeah, I think just getting into getting into bottles um, is, is the main issue you're going to come across is the labelling laws, food and hygiene ratings, all that. It does take a lot of time, and that can sometimes be really frustrating. And for me, it honestly took ages. Um, so yeah, just <laughs> try and start off as small as you can. I'd say. But what sort of problems are there? Well, because it's a nut milk brand, so obviously there's people with nut allergies. Is is that the main sort of problem you're talking about? Um, yeah, so it's allergens. Um, it's also the certain ingredients I was using at the time were kind of like difficult to list. Um, it's kind of difficult to explain. There was just so many problems, and also, it's there's certain um, jargon I suppose that you have to use on the label. Which, if you've got certain percentages of this or certain percentages of that, or it's not enough percentage of this particular ingredient, you can't list it on the label at all um so that's problems that I had I had at the time I had a very fixed idea of how I wanted everything to look and how I wanted it to be and what I wanted it to be called um and it basically just didn't align with what I was being advised to do um in terms of labeling so I really struggled with labeling um but again it is it's other people's you know other people might have a very uh, kind of simple idea um, and, it, and you know it might not take that long at all yeah there does seem to be a lot of sort of hoops you gotta jump through for stuff like that because there is a lot of like legal sort of barriers I guess and sort of health and safety stuff yeah if you stay away from anything that's got any allergens in it it's going to be a lot easier for you um, so anything that's like so for example like fruit juices things like that they're pretty much easy to get straight on the market and then once the product's on the market then you can like change it and edit it and you know make changes but I think just to get on the market as quickly as possible have the simplest idea the simplest product and something that's, that's already been done and then just add something unique to it so to make it unique yeah when you when you talk about getting into bottles, is that the whole like finding a manufacturer? Is that the whole manufacturing process you're talking about? At that stage, I again was just making it from home, um, and then I was uh, so I was making it from home, and then I was just uh, taking it to the cafes myself. Um, later on, I then went into manufacturing, um, which again because my product was nut based. Um, it's very difficult to find factories that don't um so basically when you have anything to do about allergens you the factory can't have um so if you're having like a making a free from product for example the factory has to just be a free from from factory it can't then suddenly start making all these women and you know and a lot of factories um especially in the uk a lot of factories will um they, they won't want to do it unless you're at a certain a certain minimum order quantity so the main issue that you have 
there's like a gap. So when you first, uh, when you're selling and you're doing really well at home, you know, you're making it at home, you're doing well, and then you kind of get to the point where you're like, okay, it's selling out, I need to kind of get into the factory. There's a massive gap between your numbers when you're selling out make it from home and when you then purchase it from a uh, manufacturer so there's that there's big gap um where that's that's your main hurdle i think in terms of when you're doing manufacturing and going to that next step is there's a, a difference between the numbers that you do when you're just you know you can't do it anymore from home and then um when you're in a factory they've got very high minimum order quantities so that's another problem that you do encounter as well but again the simpler the product is the more it's done the more likely you'll be able to find a manufacturer who can do it and then once you build and build and build then you can make your product more unique um further down the line from talking to sophie it seemed like the best way to start your own food brand initially is to start from your own actually home kitchen obviously complying with all the health and safety regulations and all that good stuff but it seemed like the best way to actually start a food brand so i wanted to ask her what's the longevity and like how would be the best way to start in your own home and also should you carry on for as long as possible to see you know before you hit scaling problems Honestly, even so, um, even very successful brands, I'm trying to think of, I mean, obviously I'm talking about within my industry, so I'm talking about the free from walking industry um, where it is quite difficult anyway because factories just don't want to do it because if they can get an order from a, a, another company and they don't have to do a, a, a massive four or five hour clean down after, they're going to take that contract over yours. But um, even people who I know that are really successful now within this industry, um, and specifically nuts it took them some of them take at least two years to find a manufacturer and um with me i've had a lot of manufacturers who have promised and then not delivered and sometimes it's been just before i'm about to launch into a retailer um so it, it can be difficult which is why i just say plan everything before so at least you know what numbers you have to be doing before you move to this stage and that stage and that stage um, so yeah, if you have a plan, I think you'll be fine. So what was that process like? Did you was it literally just emailing as many different manufacturers as possible to see? I do, yeah. Basically, to see what what they would say. Yeah. So you basically just have to, um, yeah, like you said, email, Google, contact people, ask other people who they. I mean, people never give out their manufacturers ever. It's like one of those things that people just don't ever give out. But um, yeah, it's just a case of speaking to people and googling and asking people um, and asking what their minimum order quantities are, and then the then what you need to do is um, they will you then depending on the recipe that you've developed at home when you move from making it at home there's certain changes that they have to then make to the recipe to make it more commercially viable um so obviously that might then mean that you don't get the exact product that you want or the exact product that it was before or the exact product that your customer likes Um, and sometimes that is just something that you have to bear um, and I do also think it's worth keeping in mind, especially when it comes to that, the fact that you do have to make certain changes and you might not like it. Um, sometimes people do genuinely make, I mean, this is kind of a reason why I stuck to doing it in um, uh, cafes and restaurants, things like that, because I had a lot more control. I could just hire delivery drivers to go out, deliver it to the outlets, and I was in control. Um, so I think you do have that kind of, there, there's two ways to look at it you can do it online as a massive market and through cafes and things like that or you can do it 
through retail, but I think they can sometimes be equally as profitable as each other. Um, and sometimes it is easier and more beneficial to do it from home, but also have a process where you can make larger quantities from home, which you can do and do it down that route. Cause some, I, I know companies, I can't remember the exact, there's a company as well who I'm in contact with, um, who's a drink company. I think they do a lot, they have vitamins in their drinks and they are purely online and they advertise on TV. You know, they're really big and all of their on, all of their SaaS have always been through online. And then that way they don't have to give away margins. They literally have a hundred percent of the profit to them to reinvest in their business. And they can sometimes grow at twice or third the amount uh, the third rate than you can if you're having to give away margins so it, it's not a case of you know it, it, it depends what's right for your business and your product in terms of how you sell it yeah I mean obviously like that channel that that route is like a lot better to go down but it's just the whole volumes won't be as high as if you go down the whole retail or so like like Amazon or whatever like it won't be as high i guess that's that's why like direct consumer is way you know the profit margins on the, on direct consumer are way higher but you won't get as much volume and your your brand i suppose won't be as as seen as often um i honestly think when you sell cuz you're keeping 100% of the profits when you're saying direct to consumers yeah. sometimes you can sell a lower volume but you can make just as much um, I understand what you're saying in terms of getting your brand out there, but I think then you also have a lot more control over the way your brand is perceived. Yeah, you're 100% right. Um, when you make it from home. There's definitely there's definitely like two sides. I think it's definitely worth weighing up and, and, and not always... I think everyone looks at retail like, oh my God, that's exactly where I want to be. But when you look into certain things like profit margins and the process and um, logistics and things like that, sometimes it is easier to have that control and to make it from home or from another workspace. So what's your thought process with this at the moment? Because you... We'll talk about this in a second, but you're you're set to to launch in a retailer very soon. But obviously, like you have the direct consumer channel as well. So, what are your sort of like thought processes with with them being there? So, I um yeah. So for for four years, I had a model that basically really worked. Um, I liked my profits. I liked what I done day to day. Um, I, again, I was in control of everything. Um, and I had customers which I'd sold for. Um, cafes restaurants things like that had I'd sold with them for years I you know I had that um I suppose I had that um brand value there because people knew the brand in in that kind of space um and I I had been thinking about going into retail before and I kind of went in and out of trying to make that happen but again because I had so many issues with manufacturing and things like that um it just it just seemed better to stick with with that but then um I think I just got to a point where I was thinking okay where where do I want this brand to go myself um, and I had a few conversations with people um and I just decided that it, I had to take that risk and see if I could do it in retail um and I also do, around that time I developed the product so I developed I changed the product slightly um I rebranded because I had a really big opportunity um with a company basically I had a really big opportunity with a company and they were going to um in, in a way develop my product for me in 
under the Sophie's Ice Nut Blend brand and they were going to sell it into retail for me as part of their range. Um, so I worked really, really hard to get this deal. Um, and it's my dream, dream deal. And all the, all the Sophie's Ice Nut Blend branding was made specifically for this deal. Um, and then basically it fell through. Um, so that was really, really hard. And then I already had the new brand in there and I absolutely loved it. And it was just suited to retail and I've been thinking about retail and then I just made a decision to just do it and take that risk. Yeah. And it has paid off. Um, but you know, there's I, I'm happy I definitely made that decision. It has paid off and I think um where I'm twenty one as well, I kind of knew that I wanted to do that and I thought if I don't do it now, when am I going to? And again with COVID, I'm glad I'd done that because a lot of the cafes shut down, you know, everything's changing in terms yeah. of in terms of the retail space. So I'm definitely glad I made that decision, but I suppose it was that deal um that that didn't go through that made me kind of go, Okay, I definitely want to do this. That's really interesting. So was it was it that deal Firstly, I've, I've never actually heard of a deal like that. So it'd be good to get a bit of context about that. But also like, yeah. was it, so was it that deal and the introduction of that, that made you sort of concentrate, firstly to concentrate on retail, but also concentrate on your branding. And was that the shifting point and the sort of turning point of you going from a sort of a brand around around your actual personal image? Yeah. Um, so I think when it was Malheur Coffee, it was brilliant, um, for cafes, it's very retro style looking. It's very kind of, it was a lovely brand. Um, and I was very attached to it because I'd done it for so long. Um, and it meant so much to me. I was really attached to the branding. Um, and I think in every other situation, you know, in business, when people give you advice or constructive criticism, you have to kind of think about it and take what you want from it. But the one thing that I would not listen to would be if someone like said anything about my branding, I just would not listen to it. Um, and the branding was lovely, but it just wasn't eye cat. It wasn't like crazy, crazy eye catching. And when you go into retail, it needs to really jump off the shelf. Like it needs to be like so unique that so when people look at you know loads and loads of bottles on the shelf, their eyes go to your product. And it wasn't like that with Malheur Coffee. Um, that was very retro style, cafe style, where I had less on the shelf in that cafe, so I had less competition. So I think it was that deal that made me realise that I wanted to do retail. It was that deal that made me realise that my product could do really well in retail. Um, I'd obviously thought about it before, but I think um, that was the turning point to make me just take that risk. Um, but also, like, because it was something I wanted to do for a while, it was also the fact that I was like, if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? And then it did work out. So, yeah, I think that was probably the turning point, though. What was that sort of deal? So they, so this random company was going to, like, how, how would that have worked? So, um, like, I'm just incredibly, like, hardworking. Like, I always, always have been. Um, so it's not like a deal that's, like, a standard structure. It's not a deal that's, um, that it's not very, it's not a standard thing, basically. So, um, I, again, knew before that I wanted to go into retail, but I loved my business model. So I was like, if there's another way that I could help a company to basically that's, that, that isn't in the dairy free market yet. And they're going into the dairy. If I can give them a, um, cause it was a growing trend. If I could give them a product that was tried and tested and had all this amazing reviews and all this great feedback and these really high sales. Um, and we would basically do it on a collaboration basis, like a percentage basis. Um, and I would actually 
got a lower percent, but um, it would have gone into retail. Yeah. Um, so it's essentially like selling the rights to your product, I suppose. Um, so I genuinely just started um, contacting all of these like big companies. So I um, I just kind of guessed people's email addresses um and i spoke with i kind of had the idea that if i could get in front of these people then i could then pitch my idea to them so i had meetings with the head of uh the manager director of cafe nero um of lots of different coffee companies and big companies um trying to think who else now uh who else i speak to up and go uh plenish loads and loads of different um big companies and i basically just went in there and was like this is what i'm pitching to you like this is going to help you to enter this new space of the dairy free market um and i'm going to help you do that and it's, it's done and dusted for you it, it, here's all the proven sales you know so i've done that um and then this one um company that was it's, it's really big i don't know if i've i can't remember i think i did sign a confidentiality agreement i'm not sure if it's still valid now because obviously it didn't go through um but i signed an agreement so i'm not sure that i should say who it is but um uh yes yeah, so i signed um yeah so i got it i spoke with this company which was a managing director um and she really loved the idea and she was like I'm not promising you anything but I'm gonna I'll, I will speak to my global team and see what they think so I had all this branding made up which is now the Sophie's Ice Up Blend branding um and yeah they they were thinking about going to nut mills but they hadn't made that change yet so it was a perfect company um and I yeah had all the brand made up put together a massive presentation um and then it went back and forth for ages and I genuinely hand on heart, the way that it was said to me, yeah. the way that it was kind of promised to me, I genuinely believed the deal was going to go ahead. Um, and I don't get my hopes up easily because people people do kind of say things and then it doesn't happen or things don't materialise. I never get my hopes up easily, but I hand on heart, honestly believe that was going to happen. Um, and then it, then it fell through and the response that I got was, um, from there, bearing in mind the global the global team had already um, certified it, so it wasn't like it was you know a pipe dream they'd certified it. So like all I thought at the time it just needs to go through. That's what I thought. Um, and then I got a response saying, "Oh, we think this is adorable. We think she's adorable." And then I kind of thought, "Is it a bit? Uh, are they patronising me a little bit? Is it an age thing?" Adorable. Yeah, adorable. It was a word. It was like adorable. And I just it was the way. Obviously, I. It was the way that it was said to me as well, like, adorable. And I just kind of thought, it, it, just, is, it just that's so me fucking patronising. Do you know what? I ha- I feel like I've got to be so careful because, like, it's sometimes people say, "Oh, but it might not be," and of course, it, it it may not be that. Of course not. But the way that it was said to me, that's exactly how I felt, and it was frustrating because it wasn't like I was just coming at them with a random idea and I hadn't done any research. I'd gone through a massive process with them. The global team liked it. Um, the managing director of the UK branch liked it and it was, you know, it, it wasn't like I just suddenly decided one day I was going to ask for this. It, it, it was, it, it had been approved. Yeah. So that really upset me. Um, that was like a, a, probably the second most like painful, horrible experience that I've been through. That was the second, that was awful. And I honestly, like I can take a lot of rejection and that was just awful. Um, so I think maybe 
because I kind of not wanted to prove them wrong, not at all, but because I maybe had that a bit of fire in me from that, I then was like, okay, I need to just do this. Previously, the reason why I didn't want to do it myself because I, I just, the manufacturing just was not there, but I just thought, okay, I've got to just make this work, um, and then I, I just did. So yeah. Uh, so I've put an explicit warning. I don't usually swear, but <laughs> that was that. Like, what, you know what I hate as well about that is because. I think it's because of your age. That's genuinely what I think. And I'm... I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm not... I agree. Or, or maybe... I hate to say this, but maybe because you're a female, I don't know, or like both of those yeah. contributing factors, which is so stupid. Like, it really, really grinds my gears when... Like, because this whole podcast, I created it because I, I know for a fact that young people like some of their views don't get taken seriously or some of like their hard work doesn't get, doesn't get taken seriously when in actual fact i think like now is the best time for young people to be entrepreneurs because like they can they can create things like of so much value that previous generations weren't able to do and you're like a prime example of that everyone on my podcast is a prime example of that so that's why that's why that really really annoys me when people like especially words like what do they say again they use um adorable that's that's an awful word i know i know and that's exactly what i thought i thought it was a mixture of my age and also that's exactly what i thought also being female um and then because it actually annoyed i think that's the thing is but that's why it probably hurts so much because if it was just general rejection i'm, I'm used to it but um if I, because that I, I felt i've been rejected for that reason it, it upset me so much but i it it's just it's frustrating and I suppose the only thing that you can actually do to try and prevent it is to speak about it um so I did actually try and turn it into a positive I actually then spoke about it on women's hour um so I kind of then when I spoke about it it kind of made me feel a little bit better because other people well other females came up to me and was like I've had a similar situation whether it be in business or in the workplace um but yeah the fact that I basically could have lost out on a deal because of my age or my gender is just it's just horrible that's awful it's absolutely awful. I hate when stuff like that happens like sexism ageism racism like all of those things I fucking hate it so much like I obviously we've spoken about stuff like that before on the podcast and we've spoken about racism as well in, in business and stuff and I just ugh, I hate it so much I really do and like they, they, I don't, I don't want you to say the name of the company in case you get in trouble. But for like a large company to say that as well, I think is really terrible. But yeah, I mean, like, what can you do? That that those sort of things exist, I guess, and we just have to kind of fight against it. Yeah, I mean, the managing director, she was lovely. And, um, we're, you know, we're, she's still really nice. Um, and yeah, she followed my journey. It, it was the, um, it was, it was, so it was their like marketing um, department or something that their, their global marketing department that made a decision. Um, but it, it had already been approved by people in the company. So that it, it was, it felt that was the reason why, because of my age and my gender, but it's just, it's frustrating because you can't do anything about it. That's what's frustrating. Yeah, I know. Well, other than talk about it and obviously create awareness, then then obviously hopefully hopefully all of this will change. Um, and I think in terms of just any discrimination, we're definitely in twenty twenty on the way to fixing it. Um, and I, and the more people that talk about it on podcasts and just in general, the more that it's going to be known and the less it's going to happen so i suppose any experience if you can turn it into a positive and then talk about it then 
I suppose, you know, it's, it's a good thing. But yeah, as, as like a founder of Colour myself, like I, we've spoken about this sort of thing on the podcast all the time. And like, there's been a lot of episodes like that. But I don't want to just focus on that because I know that we could go down this rabbit hole. I know like we're both equally as enraged as this sort of thing. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. let's just for the last sort of like five minutes or so, I really want to talk about. So how did you actually get into retail in the end? So, so it was it just because so that that deal fell through, but you obviously had the branding and everything. How did that whole thing happen in the end? Was it literally just emailing, finding contacts, all of that stuff? Yeah, that's generally, that is 100% what it is. Um, I changed the name and the branding so that it would stand out more. And also, um, when it's personable, I just think it's it's nice for consumers because they often, they feel, a bit, they feel more connected with you and the person behind the brand. Um, so that's why I obviously changed everything and it just looked brilliant. So went into retail. Um, I already had some knowledge because I'd, I've gone into it before, I've looked into it before. Um, but yeah, it's literally a case of finding out who the buyer is um, and then whether you guess their contact numbers or whether you, um, you know, literally go into, I don't know, the shop or the retail and, and literally find and find them and just get their contact details, email them, you probably won't get a reply, keep on emailing them, you might get a reply and then eventually you will get a reply. Um, I think with anything to do with like contacting people when they have so many um, people contact them, the number one rule is to never contact them on a Monday because buyers have so much responsibility and they have they do deal with all their budgets on Mondays and things. So any other day of the week, um, and also uh, make your proposal as unique as possible. So you know, find facts and figures about why your product's unique and you know anything that you can do to stand out in that email will really really help you um so yeah it's a case of just find out who they are going in finding them speaking to them and then constantly emailing constantly chasing up um and then eventually you it's definitely hard it's harder than you know selling online or cafes but if you've got good sales uh good sales figures and you've got something unique and you've got something that they want they they're always looking for something new so you will get there you just you just have to really 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 hustle with them with buyers in general so it's just the whole process of just emailing as many supermarkets as possible with your sort of proposition with your numbers all of that stuff just relentlessly until someone replies yeah a hundred percent and this is why it's good to um yeah this is why it's good to have a plan because if you know oh i'm coming up to that stage where i want to do that um you're not just reliant on people getting back to you just buyers getting back to you you've got you know you're selling in online or you're selling in cafes or something like that because um yeah people don't get back to you straight away you've just generally got to just really really follow up follow up follow up all the time and then eventually they do you will hear something um but you it is definitely a case of of just hustling and just constantly going at it um yeah it's just that that's really the only way to do it um there are some fairs uh called uh there's one for food and drink which is in olympia uh, which is the fine food fair um, and then you can basically have a stand there um, and then you have your products obviously there you have a stand you have your branding and then buyers can uh, come around and have a look and you can speak to them face to face so I suppose that's definitely an advantage um, so yeah that's another way but the the 
the, the, the most common way and the, and the most normal way and the, the way that everyone else does it is generally just by contacting, emailing and just chasing. Yeah, yeah. Sophie, I'd love to talk to you more um, because there's so many other things I would love to talk to you about. I, I know like before we started recording, I wanted to, like, we wanted to talk about mindset and uncertainty and yeah. we kind of, yeah, but like I, we've kind of run out of time and I think the conversation was really, really valuable and I know a lot of people would take a lot of value from your journey and I'm just excited to see when your like when, when it's going to be in the supermarket so I can, so I can basically buy it. <laughs> oh thank you I'm really excited for that that's good for me that's going to be a massive moment so I, I just can't wait for that as well yeah I think that's a huge milestone for you and your business so massive like credit to to where you like what you've done so and also we've totally forgot to mention like you, you pitched in front of like Peter Jones and two kids like we've, we've forgotten so many things but I think we just got distracted but it's good should probably invite you back for a second podcast <laughs> if people want that sort of thing yeah definitely that'd be nice okay cool so we're gonna wrap up there thank you so much sophie for coming on the podcast how can people kind of stay in touch with you stay in touch with your your brand in the future stay in touch with me and my brand um i have an instagram account which is at sophie's ice nut blend um and then my uh kind of personal one which is at so at sophie taylor entrepreneur and then the website is www um sophie's ice nut blend.com um, and all my socials are linked on there as well okay great thank you so much sophie and i'll see you soon thank you bye Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Manual Entrepreneur. I had an absolute pleasure talking with Sophie today. And if you also found it valuable, follow her business as well. DM her if you like, show her, you know, we all appreciate that she came on the, on the podcast, show her a lot of love. And yeah, I hope to see you in the next episode. Follow us on Instagram as well to make sure you don't miss future episodes. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.